Welcome everyone, it's good to see you all this morning um, and thank God uh, that you're able to join us this morning and thank God that we still have the opportunity to be uh, in fellowship with one another and uh, to listen to God's word and to worship together. This is where Jesus dwells, wherever two or three gather in his name. The Bible says he's in the midst of us. You know, think about that for a moment. Wherever two or three gather in the name of Jesus, he promises to be in the midst of us. That means if you call on the name of the Lord today, he'll hear you. He'll, he'll listen to, to your heart's request, your heart's desire, wherever you are. But this is a place, this is a place the Lord has ordained and has anointed that we come together. And as a church, we, we worship and we listen to his word and we come and glorify the name of the Lord. And I just want to encourage you this morning to to open up your hearts, to listen to what God has to say to you, whether it's uh, face-to-face or whether it's online. Uh, I think it's really important that your hearts are open and ready to hear what the Lord has to say. But let's pray this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word and ask, uh, uh, most importantly, that we open up our hearts to listen to what the Lord has to say uh, to us this morning. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you for everything that you speak to us in every way that you speak to us. This is a very special moment, Lord, that we can come and listen to what you have to say. These aren't my words, Lord. These are your words. And I pray that from heaven you may come and speak into the lives of those who have opened their hearts this morning to hear your voice. Lord, I pray you speak words of truth and words of life and words of hope and words of healing. And I pray, Lord God, that we all receive Um, the very truths that you know will best help us. Father, we love you. We want to grow closer to you when we become more like your son, Jesus. And for this reason, Lord, we pray your hand, your blessing, your anointing, your spirit be working in all that is said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is a very, very popular passage. uh, And a lot of you would know the story of when Jesus uh, was, con- was um, having a... Com- well, there's actually a lot of things happening in John chapter 11, but the, 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 the main focus of it is when Jesus goes to Lazarus uh, in his tomb, and Lazarus is dead in his tomb, and, um, and raises him from the dead. And this story in this whole chapter that I think are particularly helpful for us uh, to understand a bit more about what God is calling us to do. It's a chapter full of just, it's just rich. It's just rich of so many beautiful truths in this, in this story where Jesus goes to meet, um, goes to raise, raise Lazarus. I think at the end of the day, what this chapter is, what this story is revealing to us is God's calling on our lives to believe in him. God's calling on our lives to be able to put all, all the circumstances of life in perspective, to be able to put all the obstacles of life into perspective, to be able to say, you know what, I get the fact that this seems really difficult for you. I get the fact that you think it's, t- it's too hard for God to do this. I get the fact that you think, you know, God's too far away from you. But at the end of the day, to be able to put all things into perspective and to be able to come to a place where you say, I believe, that, though it sounds very simple, is one of the most, is the most profound thing that you can come to a place of being. And the fact that you can say, Lord, I believe, I believe. And there's something that's, that's glorious about this because while it's easy to say, I tell you the truth, many, many, many would declare honestly that they find it hard to do. 
And when they come to a place of not just saying, oh, I believe in God, like I believe in God, but coming to a place where God calls this belief, calls us to be able to take it further than just a word thing into a place where our whole lives is, are consumed, are consumed by everything that this belief entails, everything that God requires of us in this belief. So in this chapter, there's a lot of things that goes on like this. And I want to start towards the end of the chapter. I just want to read one verse and then we'll go back and we'll look through some of the verses um, and, and see what is actually happening here, happening here, what Jesus is actually saying, what he's actually doing for us to come to a place where we find ourselves believing. Wow, what a beautiful place to be. You can't imagine. I can't imagine. I'll tell you the truth. I can't imagine what will happen once you choose to believe. You can't imagine what God is able to do once you choose to put your whole life safely in the hands of Jesus, believing there's no other place better to be than to follow him with all your heart. You can't imagine. This is, this is something that's beyond our imagination. Yet what God gives us, we, we take and we read, believing that it is helpful for us in what, what he has shed light on his word for us to understand. So verse 40, let's start with chapter 11 and let's start with verse 40. This is um, Jesus speaking to Martha just, the, just kind of uh, before the time that he raises Lazarus from, from the grave, from the tomb. And he says this in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of of God. So he's having this conversation with Martha and he says, I tell you, look, Martha, I just want to remind you of something here. Didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Okay. Do I want to see the glory of God? Of course you want to see the glory of God. I want you to think about the glory of God for a moment. The glory of God is, any, is all the things that, again, you, will blow your mind away. Everything from the very natural things that we see all the time around us, whether it's a, a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise or the amazing stars in the sky, everything that's very natural around us, to everything that's very supernatural around us, the very things that in your life and in your circumstances that you think are impossible for God to do. When God does this, you see the glory of God. And all these things, whether they are natural or supernatural, it's a glimpse, a, a flicker of who God is. When you stand and you, and you declare and you understand the very depth of your heart, what you desire most in your life, and you realize what God is able to do in your life and the circumstances that he has changed in your life, you see the glory of God. When you go from a brokenness and you think to yourself, I can't see myself even removing myself from this circumstance. And God is able to come in and intervene and to bring healing and joy and salvation. You see the glory of God. And all of a sudden, the things that you think are impossible, God says, I'm able to do. And these things we declare as the glory of God. They are a glimpse. They are a, a story, if you like, a picture of who God is. And if we were to see the full glory of God, I don't know if we would even survive it. But for our sake, God shows us things. He declares things to us. He helps us to understand something about him. That our faith and our confidence will not be in the words of men, but rather in the power of God. We see his glory. And so Jesus simply asks Martha, he says, didn't I tell you this? Didn't I tell you that if you were to believe, you would see the glory of God? 
I'm going to ask you this morning, are you willing to believe? Are you willing to believe with all your heart and to see something of the glory of God? Or is your, is your belief just kind of something you go through the motions of? You just do it because everyone does it. Or you do it because it kind of seems the right thing to do. Or through your believing, do you see the glory of God working, intervening, changing, transforming every aspect of your life? I'll tell you the truth. This is what God is calling us to do. In this story, though Jesus calls us to believe, he also gives us a couple of instructions. He gives them a couple of instructions, tells them things that they, he requires of them. And it's interesting that even the things he requires of them, there's a little bit of resistance, a little bit of hesitancy. He tells them at least two things he wants to do because we know that faith must produce action. Yeah, Faith must show itself in the things that we do because otherwise it's dead. Doesn't know what James tells us? That faith without works is dead. And so our faith is brought out or lived out through the, th- the way we live our lives. This is what faith is. And so when someone says, i got faith, and then they, their whole life is kind of uh, nothing but just words. And then where is your faith? Show me your faith. Jesus asks a couple of things in this, in this story. He asks them to, to remove the stone, which is a remarkable request. He wants them to remove the stone. And then he asks them this, in this same story to unwrap Lazarus. You think, oh, that's interesting. He wants them to do two things. He wants them to get away the obstacle, the stone, and then when Lazarus walks out, he wants them to unwrap him of the clothes that they tied him up with. It's interesting. Why did he get them to do these things? But faith requires this action. That's that's what's happening. Couldn't have Jesus got an angel to remove that stone like he did for his own resurrection? Couldn't have the angel have come down and an earthquake have happened and the stone was moved away and then Lazarus, he asks Lazarus, of course he could. But there is this process, there is something where God calls us to believe and in believing he says, now I need you to do it. If you really believe me, I want you to go and do it. I want you to do something that you think is perhaps unreasonable, illogical, um, impossible. I want you to remove the stone. Because I'm going to show you something. But there's something getting in the way between me and you. And I want you to get it out of the way. Because I want to show you the glory of God. I want to show you. And as long as you're in the way or something about you is in the way and you're, and you're, and you're not willing to take it out of the way, you may never see the glory of God. So he asks them to do a couple of things here. But this is all about their faith. Is their faith, are they willing to trust God with their life? Are they willing to trust him enough to do what he's asking them to do so they would see just how glorious he is? You got Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You got Jesus himself being resurrected from the dead. Very similar, but very, very different, of course, yeah? Jesus rises from the dead. He's the Son of God. Sinless man who went to the cross, rises so that we could have salvation. Lazarus was risen from the grave. Jesus rose him from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave never to die again. That's why he lives and reigns forever in heaven. Lazarus rose from the grave only to, down the track, whether it was 5, 10, 50 years later, die again. But we see something very powerful here that Jesus is doing as he's working and declaring 
his power and his glory. The resurrection of Lazarus, or Lazarus rising, there would have to be one of the most remarkable miracles that Jesus performs. But I think, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is, I think out of all the miracles that Jesus performed, some might say this is one of the most miraculous because he rose someone from the dead. I think there's, a one, there's one that perhaps in my mind is even more miraculous than the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I think there is one. God is working. He's taken a dead man, a dead man, and bringing him back to life. Where have you seen that before? Jesus did it in other circumstances. I think he did it to um, uh, Jairus' daughter. I think, the, I think it was Naaman's son, I think. He did it in other circumstances, but here he does it to declare his glory or the glory of of God. Let's look at this story a little bit. I want to share with you some verses. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Verse 3, and again, like I said, I apologize, I'm not going to read verse, each verse because it's just, there's just too many, too many verses to read. Verse 3, therefore the sisters, because Lazarus wasn't well, therefore the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Think about this for a moment. What Jesus is saying is this. I hear that Lazarus is sick. I hear that he's unwell. But I want you to understand something, though you're looking at it through the lens of humanness. And you're seeing this as a sickness. You're seeing this as a problem. I'm going to tell you something. This isn't a problem in my eyes, Jesus is saying. This is, a, this is a situation where I want to be glorified. I want to glorify God. Because everything that Jesus did was to bring glory back to his Father. See, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, it says this, that we were created, we were called by his name, and we were created for his glory. In other words, God's purpose for creating us, his people, his children, of course he was talking about Israel, but, but the whole principle of us, God calling us from, a, from a, a world that was dark and hostile, he's bringing us into his kingdom. He does this and he created us so that he could be glorified through us. So then all of a, all of a sudden we start to realize our, life, our lives are not our own. When we begin to see our lives as our own and we put us at the center of everything, we get it wrong. Why do you get surprised if things go wrong for you? Why do you get surprised if you can't work things out? Why do you get surprised if you find you, you're always banging your head against a brick wall because, because you're putting yourself at the center of everything? And Jesus says this, I know he's sick, I know he's sick, and I know what you're seeing is sickness. What you're seeing is a problem. But I tell you something, what I'm seeing is God's glory. I'm, I'm seeing what's going about to happen. And this is where believing comes into it. This is where faith comes into it. And God is calling them and he's calling us to this kind of faith. Then in verse 7, the Bible says this. Look at verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go up to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are they not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now there was a problem here. All of a sudden, he's, Jesus waits a couple of days once he hears Lazarus is not well. And then he says, okay, now it's time to go. And he stops and says, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? 
We want to, you want to go back to Judea? Don't you realize that they actually wanted to kill you? You want, you want to step back into danger? Jesus, well, what are, I have to do this. I have to work. That's when the work has to be done. You've got to be faithful in the time that God has given you because the time's going to come when it's night, when you can't do anything. So now that we have the time to do it, you've got to be faithful to the work that God's got for me. It's like trying to mow the lawn or do some carpentry at night time. It's, it's, it's foolish. You don't do that. You don't do something in night time. You do it during the day. Jesus says, we've got to do this now. But what's interesting, he says to them, sorry, what's interesting, they said to him, they said, we can't go back because they're going to get you. Who else in the scriptures had a similar experience when they tried to stop him from going somewhere, but he said, what are you doing to me? You can't stop me from doing this. I know that danger awaits me. Who else did that? It was the Apostle Paul. When they were really concerned about the Apostle Paul and he had to go back to Jerusalem, his friend said to him, Paul, you can't do this. You can't do this because they, they're going to kill you there because the prophet had said, or so they're going to bind you there because the prophet had said that the that person who owns this belt is going to be uh, bound in Jerusalem. Listen to what Apostle, the Apostle Paul said to them. He said this. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not ready only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, this is what godly people do. Before them, what appears to be maybe problems, dangers, risks, when God calls... There's a sense of conviction to go. There's not a sense of convenience. You understand? You don't work. Christians don't work out of convenience. Oh, is it convenient to do that? But rather conviction. What is God calling me to do? Jesus knew that in Judea they had, were quite hostile. The Apostle Paul knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be bound but conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ drove them. He drove him, sorry. You see, when we live out of convenience, we know nothing of faith. All we know is of personal comfort. It's not convenient to fellowship with the brothers and sisters. It's not convenient to be at church. It's not convenient to share the word. It's not convenient to, 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 to um, um, maybe say this in this circumstance. But when I read the scriptures, I hear God saying to me, when I say go, you've got to go. Preach the word in season, out of season. You see, you don't live your life out of a convenience. If you live your life out of convenience, it's shallow, it's weak, it's, it's fragile. But when you live your life out of conviction that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and when he calls, I go, then you live a life that is purposeful and full of meaning, and not only that, solid and strong and, and, and confident that you're in the will of God. But how many times people stumble and fall because their faith is built on convenience? Ah, oh, do I want this? Do I not want this? Should I? Shouldn't I? Hang on a second. What is God calling us to do? And he's calling us to believe. And that means go. Do as God calls us to do. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. I understand what's in Judea. I understand what's there. But while it's day, we must work. Because night is coming when nobody can work. If you look down and you see, then sort of Thomas t uh, changes his tune a little bit. Verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let's also go that we may die 
with him. Isn't that interesting? So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Jesus, don't go, don't go. You can't go because there's going to be problems there. All of a sudden, Thomas says, hang on a sec. What? I've changed my mind. Let's go that we can also die with him. Good on you, Thomas. That's great. As long as it doesn't stop at a promise. Yeah. As long as it doesn't stop at a promise. As long as it doesn't stop as, I promise God I'll do this. I promise God I'll do this. I promise. And, all, and that's all it is. It's a promise because promises is, again, weak. I promise that I'll do this one day. I promise that I'll believe one day. I promise that we'll uh, commit our lives in this. All these promises that you hear people say all the time. This might sound strange, but did you know God's not after promises? He's after your commitment, your life. Because again, promises can come and go. You can make promises all the time, but until your faith is active, they're just promises. Until your faith is lived out, then it's just words. And what I love about this story is that Jesus is demonstrating to us what faith looks like. You know, I know what's ahead of me, but I'm going because God's called me to go. I know it's not convenient, but I need to go. I know it's going to be tough, but this is the right thing to do. I know people might think I'm foolish, but hey, I know what I have to do. And I've got, to go to, I've got to go because Lazarus is dead. Verse, um, okay, so that's, that's the first half, right? And then I'm going to miss a big chunk of Scripture, and I apologize for this. But now I want to get close to the time when Jesus is about to raise Lazarus. So go to, with me to verse 33. Verse 33, the Bible says this. He comes, Jesus comes, and he's noticing that people are quite emotional about Lazarus being dead. In verse 33, the Bible says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, that was Mary, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the Bible says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. <laughs> so that's a, quite a beautiful scene here. He comes, he sees people weeping, he sees Mary weeping, he sees the Jews weeping, and he wept. We know that's the shortest verse in the Bible, and yet probably one of the most debated verses in the Bible. Why did he weep? Why did he weep? Did he weep because he was genuinely moved by the pain of the people around him? Did he weep because he looked at them and thought, where's their faith? Why did he weep? It seems logical to me that he was just moved with natural emotion of the people around him, but it could have been the other one. But here we see the humanness of Christ. He's weeping. He feels the pain of something. He sees the anguish. He feels the anguish of something, and he's weeping. How did he weep? Did he weep aloud? Did he sob in his hand in his face? How did he weep? But nonetheless, you see here, there is something that's moved him. And I just see how beautiful, how beautiful is the humanness of Christ. How beautiful to one who sympathizes with our weaknesses, one who understands our frailties. And here he is at the grave site, weeping in all that is going on around him. And then what's about to happen is one of the most remarkable things that we, we read in Scripture, verse, verse um, 37. And some of them said, 
Come, uh, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? Don't you love this? Have a think for a moment. How often do you hear this in the world? If God is God, couldn't he have done this? If God is, is, is who he says he is, couldn't he do this? And that's what they're saying about Jesus. This, this man, Jesus, they're saying this, this very same thing. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he not have helped Lazarus? You see, our peace, brothers and sisters, our peace is not in what our circumstances unfold to become. It's in the trust of the sovereign God who's working all things for his glory. Do you understand? Look, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this way. You can change your circumstances as much as you want. Your circumstances can change to become perfect in the way you want them to be. But I'll tell you the truth. At the end of the day, it's not going to give you the peace you're looking for because as soon as they change, there goes your peace again. And these people were trying to rationalize and reason out. And if God is God, why is that? No, listen, stop, rest, rest. Are you trusting in the sovereignty of God? Are you trusting in the power of God? Are you trusting that in your circumstances, it's not about your circumstances getting better necessarily, but you're trusting that God is still good and able to work through them? Because as long as they were looking at what they didn't have, for sure they're going to be without rest. But here they had Jesus before them. And he's about to show them uh, more and more of his glory. Then Jesus, verse 38, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, uh, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for days. Wow. Not very nice. Saying someone stinks. Jesus says, okay, you've got to move the stone. We've got to deal with this. And, and Martha thinks, hang on a second, it's four days since he's died. <laughs> you do this, it's going to be a really bad smell. He smells, he stinks. There's a stench there. All Jesus asked was what? Take away the stone. Now, no, look, maybe some might, some might think to themselves, I'm reading into this. But when I look at this passage, I think, what's God trying to show me? He's about to show me his glory, and he's about to show me his power. <laughs> but what he also shows me is this, I believe. That in that grave and in that tomb is, what is, is how life is represented. It's humanness. It's a life that is dead without Christ. And listen to me. This kind of life without Christ always stinks. Do you get that? There's always a stench when you live life without Christ. I'll tell you why. Because every time you remain addicted to your sin, there's a stench. It smells. Every time you're driven by pride and arrogance, there's a smell. Every time you're bound to to unforgiveness and the inability to forgive someone who should be forgiving. There's a smell. It smells. Do you get it? All humanness, life 
without Christ, life without the Lordship of Christ, smells. All sin within and all sin without. Whenever it's tried to live without Christ, there's a smell. Human trafficking smells. Child abuse smells. Everything that is human and without Christ stinks. And so when she says this, she's right. Because life without Christ always stinks. And no matter how much you pretty yourself up and try and make yourself smell good, you still smell. Now, some people would walk past the grave with their nice perfume on and think, I don't smell like him. And they walk past thinking to themselves, yeah, at least I smell better. No, you don't. You can spray all the perfume you want on you. That's like all your good works, all your human effort, all the things that people say, oh, good man, good girl, what a beautiful person, what a helpful person. You you can do as much of that in your life, but at the end of the day, and put all this beautiful perfume of self-effort on your life, but you still smell. Do you get that? Until you come to a place where your life is completely sold to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, what Jesus says, even though there is a smell that Martha is saying is about to happen, what Jesus smells, listen to this, what Jesus smells is the beautiful aroma of forgiveness and deliverance. All they can smell is stench. But what Jesus is smelling is not stench. He's smelling, yeah, he smells it, but what he smells more is the beautiful smell of forgiveness and deliverance. Because he says to the man or the woman who's stuck in their sin, come and I'll forgive you and I'll deliver you. Because what I can smell is deliverance. And that's what he's about to do. He's about to deliver Lazarus. And what's really interesting about this story, what did Lazarus have to do? He was dead. You can't say, okay, Lazarus, now I need you to do something for me. Jesus is about to raise you from the dead. So the power of God may be manifested. And so he says to them, take away the stone. It's not a a hard request, but it's a request to believe. Now, I don't know what the stone is in your life. Maybe Maybe it's your understanding. Maybe it's your... Uh, willingness, unwillingness to, to let go of yourself and become vulnerable. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fear of what people are going to say. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe you, you, under, you, you think to yourself, you're okay, but God's trying to reveal to you that you're not okay. Whatever that stone is, it's got to get out of the way. And when you get out of the way, you hear the voice of Jesus that says, come forth. I've got freedom for you. I've got forgiveness for you. I've got a smell that's so much better than what you're in at the moment. And though you may not see it, you do smell. And at the end of the day, God wants to set you free. Sin in our lives is a smell. It's a stench. But the forgiveness of God is the beautiful aroma of God's grace. And if this morning you would believe, you would experience the power of God and you would see the glory of God in your life. So he asks them to remove that stone. And in verse um, Verse 40, the Bible says, did not, did not I, sorry, and that's what we read at the start, did not I say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? So he's about to show them and he's asking them, and he's reminding them, remove the stone. If you believe, you'll see God's glory. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where, he had, where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you are always here, you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, 
he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Wow. Jesus prayed to the Father. He says, I know you hear me, Father, but I'm saying this so others can believe. Because that's what he's concerned about, yeah? The whole, the whole passage is about bringing us to a place of believing. So he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> Some people suggest that if, if he didn't use the word name Lazarus, the, all the people in the grave would have come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, the one who heard, if you like, the voice of Jesus stepped out and experienced freedom from that life that he could never have delivered himself from. There's the glory of God. And if this morning you feel wrapped up, tucked away in some grave-like experience, then I'm telling you the truth. If you're willing to remove the stone, whether it's pride, fear, um, personal pursuit, personal preservation, whatever it is, if you're willing to remove and hear the voice of Jesus, then I'm telling you the truth. You'll see the glory of God. Come forth and see what God is able to do. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The second thing he wanted them to do, Loose him and let him go. The love of Christ took a man who couldn't save himself, couldn't deliver himself, couldn't set himself free, took a man, called his name and said, come out. But that love cost Jesus something. It cost him something. And I want to finish with this. If you look down at verse um, 54, Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. What Jesus did cost him something. It was getting towards the end of his life, and it meant he could no longer openly or publicly do what he was doing before, because all of a sudden what people saw, people began to grow hostile toward him the leaders of the day. While some believed, others grew even more hostile. And it made him go into the countryside. It made him stop being as public as he used to be. But do you think it bothered him? No. Jesus would go to all lengths, pay any cost. He could save one person. And he did, didn't he? He did. It wasn't a small thing when they nailed him to the cross. It wasn't a small thing when they punished him and, and, and afflicted him. Why? So that you and I could hear his voice, to hear the word of God say, come forth, come out, let go, leave it behind, come and experience the glory of God. Come and experience the power of God. When we stay where we are, we stay unbelieving. And only God knows the very things that bind, inflict, 
hold, trap, lock away our experiences of life. But God's calling us to come out, to be his children, to believe, to believe, and in believing, to see the glory of God. And I pray this morning that when we, when we uh, uh, look at the life of Lazarus, we see a man who couldn't do it himself, but we see Jesus, the power of God, who's able to do it in him. And by this we, by this we believe, and by this we see, we see God's glory. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we, um, as, we, as we reflect on his word this morning. And we continue to come before the presence of the Lord and to trust that in his power and in his goodness and in his grace, that he's able to forgive and set free. There are many circumstances in life, brothers and sisters, that would force us to stay in the grave. There are many people in life that would force us to stay in the grave. They would say things like, oh, that's the best place for you, or that's the only place you can be, or you're not able to do anything else this is this is the best you can you can become but i believe in the the power of the lord jesus christ to to transform us into the image of christ to make us more and more into the image of christ and if you're settled where you are and it's not the image of christ it's something less than that then i'm asking you this morning to believe to believe and ask, this, ask God to be working quite with great power and might that you may see his glory. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for demonstration of your power and your goodness through the Lord Jesus Christ. What was impossible for man, he did with such ease. And in this we see your glory. Lord, we come before you this morning. We pray as we think about the things in our own lives that, that smell because of the sin that hasn't been dealt with. And we pray. Help us to hear your voice this morning. Help us to come believing come trusting and to come holding on to nothing else but to know that you came to set men free. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do and pray you continue to bless this fellowship, guide us and lead us in all things. Bless your word throughout this day and throughout the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.